Even though we have a lot of medical innovation here in the United States, people are still faxing medical records from one office to the other. We're now in the age of big data. What's its impact on the medical space? How fast are we going to get there? And what will the benefits be? Welcome to MedTech Monday on the Road Pod. Hello, and welcome to MedTech Monday, a podcast about technologies, trends, entrepreneurship, innovators, and innovations coming out of Southern New England. Um, this episode is our third installment of MedTech Monday in partnership with Zymedica. And today we are featuring their Director of Technical Innovation and Advanced Analytics, Jeanette Toyjanova. As always, I'm Danielle Sturm, and I'm here with my co-host, Tom Chiginski. Hi, Tom. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Danielle. Good afternoon, Jeanette. And Jeanette, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know Tom's, I think, pretty excited to speak with you today as we're focusing on technology, big data, analytics, all things he's very interested in. Um, and I'm very excited to learn from you on a topic that I know a little bit about, um, but I'm excited to learn more. So Jeanette, I'd love to turn it over to you um, so you can introduce yourself. Um, tell us a little bit about your background um, and your role at Zymedica. All right. So hi, everyone. My name is Jeanette. I work with Zymedica and I've been with Zymedica for over six years now. Uh, my role at Zymedica is, as Danielle mentioned, as Director of Technical Innovation and Advanced Analytics, just leading the whole digital healthcare, leading that uh, revolution in uh, clinical care uh, while developing medical devices. Uh, my background is actually very diverse. Um, my undergraduate degree was in civil engineering, so I kind of jumped around between construction and oil industry and then eventually decided to go into PhD and uh, change the major, change my direction a little bit into mechanical engineering, uh, specifically in biomechanics and experimental methods in biomechanics. Very interesting. And um, I love the title you gave to this podcast today because it has a question. So I think it's a really good question, just broad to start off with. It's big data analytics in healthcare and why that matters. And in your opinion, you know, just starting, what why does that matter and what is it? Yeah, so big data in healthcare, there are many re reasons why it matters. Uh, I can, I mean, I can talk about this for the whole hour, actually. Um, it, matters, it matters a lot for public health, obviously. There is a lot of um, amount of data that we could use to just draw really good insights about the treatments and diagnostics more efficiently and in a more cost-effective way. Um, to develop our evidence-based medicine, right? So instead of having the data collected two days a year that you go to the doctor, we can collect data from the rest of the 363 days, right? From everyday uh, lifestyle, everyday treatments that you use. Um, it also gives uh, a different view into clinical operations or delivering the healthcare to uh all populations, not only the ones that you do have access to the doctor um, or to the hospitals, but giving access to uh, rural areas as well. So that's, we're talking about now digital healthcare, telemedicine, just improving that aspect of um, healthcare. Um, and then obviously just um, improving the research and development tools, right? The more data we collect, the more we learn, and the more we can inform the statistical tools, the algorithms, the better we can get into those treatments and diagnostics. I have a couple of thoughts on that. I think where you're going is wonderful <laughs> because I'm a data, I'm a data nut, and I when I ride my bike 30 miles, 
I collect all my data. When I ride at 20 miles, I compare my miles per hour, my heart rate and everything else. My phone has more data about my health and my cardio fitness than, than, than my uh, cardiologist has ever had. Uh, but I think there's a huge chasm between where we'd like to go uh, and where we are right now. I think we have issues with privacy and with people not feeling comfortable. In, in most cases, that's rightly so, because we don't have a healthcare system that is um, open to everyone. Uh, we have a healthcare system that is private and, and people don't have access to uh, quality care oftentimes because they can't afford it. Um, so I think there's a there's a real chasm here, but I think we're going in the right direction. And I applaud you for focusing on this area because I think you can have one of the biggest impacts on our on the health of our of our society. And we have an aging population, right? So that's going to be you know a big a huge impact on our healthcare infrastructure in the future and the cost structure. Where do you see where are we now? You know, if we had to timestamp this right today, September 10th, where are we with analytics? So I think actually like a lot of research and a lot of technologists and startups and companies are working on data analytics and artificial intelligence, machine learning, whatever people call this in healthcare, because they do see the value. We all see the value to this, sure. whether it is improving the public health or it's improving um, the R&D in, in clinical operations or even insurance performances, right? So we all see the value. So I think the technology is getting there and it's already there. We we know what tools to use. We know we have the tools available. We know that we need storage and we have those tools available. I think the problem, and as you mentioned, that's exactly where we the problem is. We are vulnerable because as we progress in the and revolutionize the technology, the Internet of Things devices, as we bring it home, as we improve our telemedicine and telehealth technologies, we are still not matching the development and security awareness. We're still not matching the, the policies and practices and uh, healthcare organizations. So that has several things in it, right? The trust from the user, the trust from the patient. Like, is our privacy policy good enough? How can we in improve our cybersecurity? How can we protect the personal data? And I mean, the amount of data we collect in hospitals, it also has financial data. There is so much risk out there, so, so much vulnerability to the population, right? But then also, how do we um, improve and teach the healthcare providers to trust the data they see, right? We have to revolutionize that as well and give them the proper information and the proper training to understand that whatever we're providing or whatever the data analysis is showing is non-biased reports that could be trustworthy. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of data analysts actually bring up the four Vs. So there is like volume, velocity uh, to the data. There is variety of data, right? But the, the fourth one is the most important one is veracity, which has to do with data assurance, with the quality, with trustworthiness. And mm -hmm. I think that's like another big component that we are missing right now. Do you think, I go back to what you said before, because I have a couple of friends who are um, physicians and they are, um, let's just say their egos are profound. Um, <laughs> And so here we have a, a physician who's had 20 or 30 years of, of experience with hands-on patients, doesn't necessarily um, 
let's just say he's of an age uh, that he's not really attuned to technology. He gets technology, but he's not into big data. He's never seen something like a, a dashboard like Tableau or something else. And he's running from patient to patient to patient. He wants to trust his gut instinct more than he wants to trust data because he hasn't, have, hasn't had that much experience with data and clinical data. How, do, how are we going to bridge that, that chasm? And I, I, I keep using that word because there's a great book. Um, it's about for technology entrepreneurs. It's called Bridging the Chasm. And, you know, it's always this event where we want to get across this void uh, where we see, we see nirvana on the other side. We see hope on the other side. But we're here and we have to build that ladder somehow to cross that. So how do we how do we readjust a physician's day to day interaction with patients to be more analytical with data to sort of maybe take a look at a dashboard? Um, it, it, how are we going to do that? Yeah, I, I mean, I would love to say that it, it's by showing them the value, but I think the value is pretty obvious. I think we have sure. shown that. Um, I think at this point is just providing the right training tools and providing the right user interface for that physician. So there are different physicians, right? For the ones that are upcoming and new physicians, we can obviously integrate it into their uh, training as they exactly. go through med school, right? Yep. But the physicians that have been working for 20, 30 years and already used to their own gut instincts, yep. I, I think with them, we just need to change and that's the medical device. That's the user interface, right? We need right. to change what we show them. Perhaps the data we present to them must be different. Perhaps it should not diagnose something for them, but it should give suggestions and just open up a different box for them to take a look at and, and propose it as a toolbox instead of as the, the, end, uh, the answer, right? Um, because, I mean, there, there will be a lot of, it's like, teaching people to use the phones, right? Back in the day, no one even knew what Instagram is and now we can live without it. So mm -hmm. I think it's kind of a similar approach. We'll have to bring up the new generation of doctors a new generation of viewpoints. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for that is that what was happening 20 years ago is not the same right now. What treatments were used 20 years ago cannot be used right now just because we need to adjust treatments based on the changes to the lifestyle and changes to the environmental factors. I mean, everything we do, like the way we expose ourselves to environment is so different now versus 20 years ago. Sure. Um, so I think those are the things and uh, we have to provide. We're the big gorilla to me in this whole thing. And, and again, my knowledge from my couple of friends who are physicians, um, some of them, you know, they, they know they have to see X amount of patients a day to get paid to actually keep their office open. And we have, this goes back to, again, the public-private issue. Um, and the physician, you know, is, 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 has a lot of challenges on his time. And I'll give you one example of that. A friend of mine who's an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, I think I mentioned this in our, pre, in our discovery call, uh, walked into a patient and said, you know, hello, Let's call him Bill. Hello, Bill. Oh, that's that's a wow. That's a great job someone did on your septum. And he said, "Yes, doctor, you did that nine months ago, right?" So my friend, a physician, also named Tom, um, did not have the time because he's running between so many patients. He has to see so many patients to keep the keep the doors open and keep the the billing cycle going. That he didn't have the time to even look up and understand that he had spent you know three hours working on this gentleman's septum nine months ago. How 
how is the billing, how are the providers who are the ultimate, right, gatekeepers to our healthcare, how are these people adopting? What do they see? Obviously, they see the ability to have, you know, reduced, reduced cost and everything else. But how are they going to adopt this to allow, you know, there's going to be a, a, a transition period. And how, where do you see that going? And are you talking to them? Uh, I mean, we at Zamatica in general, we always reach out to KOLs when we work on something. We always make sure that whatever we create, it will be something that the doctors prefer and would love to use. So oh, I, I, I'm not, I, I really, I understand that, but I'm going towards the healthcare providers, the guys who are paying, excuse me, the healthcare payers, right? The the Blue Cross and Blue Shield, the United Healthcare, the, 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 the sort of neighborhood health. How are those people going to adopt this? Because they're the ultimate, they're the ultimate gatekeeper. I mean, you can't get something done some one day if someone doesn't want to pay for it. And I'm recent experience with that in a family member. Um, I hate I hate to sound so down on down on healthcare payers, but you know they put off they put off the treatment for something, and you know the, the individual died. Um, and that's that's a sad story. But I think it happens. It's not an edge case, right? It's 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 a case that's. It's somewhere embedded in our healthcare system. We just don't hear about it that much. So where are these healthcare providers, the, the, the payment providers, the people who are paying the bills that we pay into and then they pay out, how are they going to adopt this? And I see that's one of the biggest issues, um, you know, in sort of that transitional period going from small data to big data for physicians. Yes, Do you work with them? We do not work with them right now. Okay. Yeah, but it's that's a really good discussion point and question because obviously there is a lot of strength in big data where uh, even though it will benefit them for fraud detection, right? So yes. that's number that's number one. And then the other one is again we're trying to be more cost effective, right? And by having and using the data properly and getting the right insights, we can get information pinpointing the patients that are the highest consumers of the health resources or the ones that are at the highest risk. So um, I think that's where the providers will benefit actually, that with having the appropriate data analytics tools and having the appropriate data available to us, we'll be able to detect the exacerbations of the patients uh, before it happens, before it is the high bills, right? And we'll be able to notify the right people, the right uh, caregivers, or whether it is physician to catch it, but basically we'll be able to catch it early. Do you think COVID and the age of sort of telehealth here, uh, which we've, you know, we moved like 10 years down the path faster. Do you think this is going to help with that? Uh, I think so. I think it opened up some, it's opened up some eyes that weren't opened before. I think it forced us to just open those doors forcefully instead of naturally. Um, and again, telehealth and telemedicine is something that's, People said it's going to be impossible. And now I'm like my past few appointments were like remote were virtual and they went just fine because I don't need to be in, in, in front of the person to ask, answer some of the questions that they are asking during physical exam. Mm -hmm. right? right. Obviously, it's not um, it's not going to be for everyone. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there will be some patients that still need to be meeting the doctor in person, but at least they can check in with a doctor remotely. Uh, if they don't have access to get to the doctor on time. Mm -hmm. uh, what 
how quickly do you think that's been accelerated? Where do you think we, w- we would be and where do you think we are now? Uh, I think we accelerated by five years. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Especially with the policy as well, with the, the extension of telehealth and being covered by pairs. Like, how long would have that taken if it, we weren't able to, you know, accelerate it through a global pandemic? <laughs> Yes. Right. I, I mean, I have a pers- personal example, actually, um, I'm from just a therapist that I'm seeing. The Blue Cross Blue Shield, it re- initially they were covering only telephone phone calls instead of the video calls. And then they changed the policy very quickly because they did realize there needs to be some kind of face-to-face interaction. And now they're covering the full video interaction with the doctor. So like even seeing that, like that would have taken years and a lot of paperwork to prove that. But now this is happening much faster because there is a need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you see someone, do you, so go back to your four Bs, variety of data. Yes. Um, obviously, when we get into a situation with data, the variety is, 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 is infinitesimal. Um, how, do we, how do we normalize this data from multiple providers Right. We have, you know, we, we look at a spreadsheet, we look at a database, we look at Oracle, we look at we look at something else. How do we normalize this just so, and massage it to, to sort of move it to a user friendly world for their physician? Is there an opportunity in innovation for some sort of middleware right, that resides in the cloud somewhere that normalizes this data, sifts through it and makes it, let's call it consumable? Right? Because right now, data comes in in so many different variations. Oftentimes, it's very even hard for a data analysts to normalize that. You know, throwing out the edge cases, throwing out the anomalies. Where does, I mean, I, AI and everything else is going to be a great, great uh, solution to that eventually, but we're not there yet. So is there a room for a middleware and innovation to sort of bring this together? There is definitely room and actually like a lot of research and development is done is in those particular tools. Mm-hmm. Like we can analyze data once it's structured and normalized. Right. Easy. Right. Like there, we already know the statistical tools. We already know the machine learning algorithms for that. But that part where we aggregate data and normalize it, that's where a lot of research is done right now. Whether it is through uh, text recognition or natural language processing, through deep learning processing, like that's exactly where most of the research is going to right now. Um, and a lot of tools are being developed. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because even, I mean, we're looking at the U.S. In this conversation, we're discussing U.S. tools, right? We already have sure. some kind of, uh, we have digitized uh, health records already, like electronic health records. Um, so that's great. There is already some kind of commonality between hospitals or at least within hospital between within the doctors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you go to other countries, if you go to third world countries, that's not this that's not the same. So okay. I think that's where the middleware in more research and more development middleware that you're discussing will be the, very helpful. Because even us living in the United States, if we travel to another country and we do have an issue and we do need to go to the doctor there, how do we normalize the data enough to deliver it to them and show them the history, the historical data to them? Uh, to uh, physicians that have totally different system of data collection. Perhaps it's handwritten, perhaps it's uh, electronic. It, it depends on the country they travel to. Um, so I think that's where the gap, like cybersecurity and that 
will have to advance quite a bit for us to get even more valuable information from data. Who's the leader right now in terms of world health, in, in terms of data? Um, I mean, I would say it's Google because that's where they're leading. Uh, but yeah. there are a lot of a lot of companies that work on this. But in terms of in terms of nationalities, Scandinavia, who has a very robust healthcare system uh, and a public healthcare system, are they sort of moving? Have you seen have you seen you know countries that are way ahead in this area? Um, I would say it's. Um, I wouldn't call one country, Europe in general, actually working very hard on policies. I was just like actually reading papers uh, recently. They work a lot on uh, improving policies and actually uh, defining those security policies to make sure that the technology matches the uh, policies and privacy. Um, and then also our leaders in technology, right? China um, and South Korea, they are working very hard on that too. It's interesting to see what, excuse me, it's been very interesting to see what comes out of Japan in this, particularly because we have an aging population in Japan, right? They're aging very rapidly um, and they're, you know, they're not replacing their population. And as we are aging in the United States, right, we're sort of looking towards a similar, similar outcomes down the road with sort of population segmentation. And um, maybe Japan is looking at this in a different way than we are because, there are so many issues that um, people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, you know, get that they could be leading it because they have a, such an aging population. Do you see that? Uh, definitely. And Japan is actually very advanced in some of the AI tools that they have been using, mm -hmm. um, especially with the caregivers, because a lot of the um, you could see a lot of developments in there, like AI robots to actually interacting and acting as caregivers with the older population. So. Um, actually, technical innovation Thursdays that we have with NEMIC um, uh, once a month, they you could you could see a lot of developments and robotic developments from those um, possibly every time that's coming out from Japan. Hello, it's Tom, the co-host. I'd like to tell you something about a sixth sense I've developed and how it applies to Zymedica. I've worked with large organizations, banks energy companies, transportation companies, around global problems and crisis management. Bad things happening to big companies on a global scale. I've also worked with the IAEA in Vienna, Austria, and New York around fissile material, nuclear medical waste, getting into the wrong hands and creating dirty bombs. I knew nothing about nuclear waste or fissile material, but what I did know, something about collaborative tools. And I'm also a sailor sailing with incredibly demanding CEOs around the world, and including the America's Cup. How does this apply to this podcast in Zymedica? Well, I've developed a sixth sense for when people are telling you something they merely know they have to tell you or when they believe in it. And given the knowledge these individuals have, they're brilliant. There's no doubt about that. That's readily apparent. But their commitment to getting things done, their commitment to doing the right thing, their commitment to pushing the ball down the field is readily apparent in all my conversations with them, which have totaled about eight hours. So in this age of the pandemic, which we now find ourselves in, I'm happy that there are people like these wonderful individuals who I've interviewed at Zymedica behind some of the medical technology. I feel good about the future. I feel like we'll get somewhere. 
And I hope after listening to these episodes, you feel the same way. Um, what's the timeline? Where do you see, where do you, I mean, they're always in technology. They're always adoption spikes, right? Where people move in, you know, it's like, you know, the adoption curve, but the, you know, the early adopters and, and everything, the adoption curve, and then we go over and then we get the, the other side of the waterfall, right? Where everyone's in, where, where, where are we on that curve? Um, to getting fully digitized. Yeah. Yeah. I would say seven to 10 years. Okay. Um, at least from uh, the reason why I say that is mostly just uh, there were, have been so much inform development and uh, information about AI and machine learning. We're talking about a lot of value, not only in R&D tools and public health, also like improving clinical trials, getting mm -hmm. uh, treatments fast, famous um, uh, drugs faster to market. Um, so there has been so many studies and research done that shows the value. And I think now that the new doctors are trained and go through this training and go through residencies, like we, I'm, to be honest, in my mind, I'm waiting for that new generation to hit the hospitals. Um, and that's why I'm saying seven to 10 years. And I think by then technology will definitely be advanced enough. Um, it will definitely have the proper tools. I mean, FDA is definitely proponents of this. They have been working on a framework there um, to guide the developments. Um, so I think by then we will all be matched and aligned to uniformly uh, execute and deliver. I'm a big fan of um, taking ownership of your health. So down the road, do you see uh, healthcare um, uh, that's being paid for, if you upload your data, if you're willing to transmit your data, if you're willing to give more data, do you see that there's an opportunity because cost is so big in this country that we'll be able to get a discount if I give you my data? Yes, why not? <laughs> well, I, I, I would say why not, but you know, I work out and, and I don't get a discount, you know? I ride my bike and I don't get a discount. I mean, I would like to be able to think that you know, more data is going to be um, the ability. But I was going to say that the pay aren't the the payers are making money off of that data already. So it's it's already happening above us. But you know, hopefully, if if that's something you want to do, hopefully it can trickle down at some point, and you can you can make money off of it. Trickle down, yeah. or at least not pay as much money, Danielle. That's where we're going with this, right? Yep. Where's yep. the ten twenty percent discount? Yep. Yeah, I, I guess you want to see the cost effectiveness somewhere and hopefully patients will feel it. But it's like accident forgiveness, right? The yep. insurance companies for the cars, you get accident forgiveness or you get like some kind of discounts if you go a long time without any uh, events. They also put a sensor on your car right now. There's some, you know, there's some companies that will put a sensor on your car for three months, track how you drive and then base your, your pay or how much your discount is off of that, which is... It, it, it's the future if you want to go if you want to do that i have a 3.2 liter engine i do not care to do that i like my car <laughs> going where it goes fast <laughs> yeah. but tom you see there is precedence for this so i don't think that that's out of uh reality i i do no. think that this is something that maybe uh will be used to inspire patients and to motivate patients because again patients are also tough. We were talking about physicians today a lot, but 
and, and about providers, but patients are also as tough. Patients also need to trust the information that they're providing. Sure. I mean, so many people having, all right, there are two ca- two cases, right? Like some people will press, yes, I agree with any terms and conditions of privacy transfer. And some people will be like, no, I will never give up my information. I will never do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think that could be one of the motivating tools. Uh, a lot of times when we develop a device, or especially a treatment device, one of the things that we keep on asking ourselves is adherence and compliance by the user, especially the ones that uh, do have chronic diseases and other ones that I mentioned that are like the greatest consumers, the ones that have the greatest risk. Um, so, and the factors are always, if we provide them this treatment or if we provide them this sensor, are they going to use this or is it going to overwhelm them? Right. Um, so oftentimes we look into the solutions like gamifications or some kind of payback, um, not necessarily the one you're referring to, but providing some kind of payback or maybe award system in order for us to inspire these users to use the sensor or the treatment that uh, we develop. Right, right. Um, you know, you mentioned rural areas at the beginning. You know, we have an issue with even broadband in this country in rural areas, right? So we have an issue of people uploading data and people getting telemedicine uh, because we don't have enough broadband. We don't have, you know, we're still dealing with DSL in a lot of places or a single provider where the individual uh, homeowner can't actually, you know, pay for it because it's it's expensive. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, you know, that's part of, the ladder across the chasm, I think we need to resolve because obviously I don't know the data, but I would suggest that rural areas probably have a lot more chronic health problems than than urban areas. Yes, and based on statistics, they're the ones who are more likely to go to emergency rooms just because they don't right. have uh, those preventive maintenance check-ins with a doctor as often as people who live in the city. Um, so I, I think low-income population or and rural areas are the populations that I have in mind when I work on data analytics um, and uh, digital healthcare, because yes, we're going to bring a lot of value to any population, but that target population will probably benefit the most. And I have one other question. Are we going to create a, and I say this just because um, my friends were physicians and my former father-in-law, who was a pediatric allergist um, and worked with a lot of children, um, he had a wonderful bedside manner, as one would have to, right, with with uh, with young children and and with allergies. Are we going to go and create a generation of technocrats as physicians that won't have that bedside manner, that won't have the ability to connect with a patient and have empathy with that patient? That is not the goal, <laughs> and I know, definitely I know. not the objective. And, no, I know. Uh, if anything, by providing video calls, I hope it will improve things. And I hope right. by um, reducing the burden on the physician to see as many patients as possible, because they will just have more information and perhaps they will be ahead of the game with having um, uh, the information ahead of time, um, hoping that if anything, it will improve their bedside, bedside manners. But again, we are bringing up a new generation. We are revolutionizing the clinical healthcare, right? And we are bringing up the new generation of doctors. And I think those key things that we want to add and, and there's some we want to maintain still need to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I say that both from a 
you know, perspective of the broader audience, but also from a personal perspective, because I can count on not even one hand, maybe three fingers, the times that I have been, you know, had an issue with my health uh, in the past bunch of years. I won't say how much big that bunch is, but um, they're very small. But I know in the future, it'll be, I'll have two hands full or three hands full eventually. So it's a concern for an aging population about the, you know, we'd love, we'd love our physicians to be technologically literate and more engaged with our data because I think it'll help. But also, you know, we're going to engage with them more and it could be, you know, that personal relationship matters. And I, I agree with you about the telehealth. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I have one more um, question or maybe two more. Um, but the last time we, we talked on the discovery call as well, you gave a great overview um, when I asked to, for you to talk about and through your work at Zymedica, what is your ultimate like, goal and what do you want to do to create more infrastructure to get us to the future of what you know big data and digital health is used in medicine? Yes, I think, I mean, the infrastructure right now is there, but it's not used, right? Right now, we're not using all the sensors that are available, like the Internet of Things sensors that are available to us mm-hmm. to uh, get the information to the doctor. So we have the sensors, we have the Bluetooth, we have the phone, we have the app, we have the Wi-Fi. So things technically can go to the cloud. Things technically can go uh, to the uh, information that's required by the doctor, but we're not we're not doing that yet. Um, I, I think all the tools are in place. Um, again, once we have all the policies in place, it will be more doable. But my vision for all of this is creating an ecosystem around the patient. So utilizing, uh, we talked about Alexa last time. So utilizing Alexis, utilizing those passive sensors that you have in the house, whether it is Nest, maybe it's air pollution sensor, maybe it's Alexa. Um, so creating a passive ecosystem around the patient that will get triggered and collect the information that is required for that patient individually. Um, and then uh, notify whether a physician or maybe perhaps the patient themselves to be like on alert if needed. For example, if it's a patient with some breathing disease or pneumo- uh, uh, pulmonary disease, perhaps notify the, pa- the patient saying like, hey, their air pollution is horrible. Perhaps you should check in with yourself and make sure to stay away or maybe to turn on something. Um, so to, yeah, to have a more interactive uh, ecosystem around the patient, that's, that's the vision. And then the other infrastructure that we have to also consider is as we're adding those sensors around the patient, there are also a lot of equipment and devices that are used within hospitals and what infrastructure needs to be in place for us to connect all of those devices. Um, because hospital to hospital, um, each inform- um, IT department is different, the securities are different, how they collect data is different. So that's another infrastructure that needs to be fixed in order for us to, when we do improve upon medical devices, um, in order for the data to go to the cloud instead of with the USB key, go to the doctor's computer. Um, we will need to address the differences between hospitals and the IT departments. I'd like to go back to what you just said about Alexa uh, as an Alexa developer and as a person heavily involved with Alexa. Um, I think it's a great it's a great tool and I think it's going to have a big impact. And I think one of the things that is being ignored 
um, by physicians is the ability of not Alexa to have, have that interface, but to actually have the physician's voice be the interface. So it's like, hey, T Tom, how are you doing today? Oh, Dr. Smith, I'm doing fine. You know, your physician's voice, it's different than a machine because a lot of people don't trust machines. But if the physician's voice is there, I think that's going to have a very big impact on um, responsiveness to that passive device that you talked about. Yeah, and that's where the user-driven device come into place uh, too, right? Because it plays such a huge role. Mm -hmm. um, each individu individual that will be surrounded with this ecosystem may have a different For example, approach. if I'm developing something so, for my mom, of course, I would want Alexa to talk in a voice that's familiar to her, that she's comfortable with, she trusts. And yeah. then perhaps uh, a newer generation like me, I don't mind not ever talking to Alexa and just wearing a watch and surrounding myself by some wearable devices. And it will not overwhelm me because I'm used to be connected to my phone. I'm used to actively providing data to whether it is healthcare or somewhere else. Um, so I think that's where um, you bring up an amazing point. Yes, like user-driven design is what we, t we should target. I don't mean to sound negative. I just think there's, you know, you talked about the interaction between hospitals and, and data security and different types of hospitals. And, you know, like Mass General has a totally different, you know, uh, data structure and, and IT department and, and, you know, than some rural hospital in Western Massachusetts. You know, they're only a couple of hundred miles, not even 150 miles away, but still probably light years away from interacting with one another, right? And in the same state, in the same sort of technical, uh, uh, you know, technical area in New England, which is very you know, heavy tech, but still that's going to be a big issue. And it goes back to that, when I talked about that middleware thing, I think, I think the biggest people who are going to have the biggest impact are those people that can basically bridge those chasms between providers, between systems. And I think it's going to, I think that's going to have the biggest impact on it. And maybe it's Google, maybe it's somebody else, but um, you know, there's a lot of people who don't want their data out. I don't mean to be so enough. <laughs> yeah, it's advancement in middleware plus policies. Yeah. Um, because no matter what, yes, middleware will advance. It will train itself. It will learn. It will do all the right things with the data. But then there should be some policies to also remove some burden from middleware as well. Right? Why is the why are the systems are so different? Why can't we have one general cybersecurity approach to make sure that data is private and it's protected and that mm -hmm. it's the user does not need to worry about that neither the user or the physician mm -hmm. yeah i you can keep this in or not but um this conversation especially with change in policy um and you know users adopting new technologies and come bringing it back to talking about give you discounts on your insurance or what what not um and then there's the people like for me, for example, I would probably be a little hesitant to to share my data. But if you think, I th then I sit there and think about it. And I'm like, but it's for my health. Like, no matter what, this is all going for my health and, you know, extending my life or making me a healthier person. But I think we see it right now, especially with the COVID pandemic going on with people don't even want to wear masks when, you know, it's for your health and it's for other people's health. And I'm just thinking about like, it's, I don't want to be negative either, but it's thinking about that change in the system and what we need to happen and how we can't even all get on the same page to wear masks. How are we going to put, you know, smartwatches on people and ask them to share their, their data with us and the government, if yeah. that's who it's going to. 
It's a revolution for sure. But again, no matter where we'll be with technology and no matter where we'll be with advancements in technology, we will always have that percentage of people who may not comply. And that's okay. If we even improve the quality of life of 5% of people, of the population, that's already a huge progress. That's already a huge cost savings to everyone. And let, let's take care of those 5% and let's see where when others catch up. Uh, it doesn't mean that we should stop the advancement in this technology for sure. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, no, I agree. I, and, and I think, you know, Danielle, you brought a very good point. You know, we're witnessing it right now. The collective good is not being addressed by a huge chunk of the population. Even an Olympic athlete, a female a volleyball player was out there last week talking about she doesn't want to wear a mask. Um, so you bring up a, a very good point. And um, I hope it can be explained to the general population better than COVID has about the benefits of this going forward. And Jeanette, I applaud your Talking about a five percent, you know, people, yeah. most people think five percent would be would be nothing, but you understand the the metrics of the whole system, and five percent to you would be an enormous improvement. Enormous improvement, but then okay, let's talk about something totally different. Let's forget changing our dig- the, the digital healthcare or bringing uh, improving public health. Let's just talk about clinical trials. Let's talk about before it even gets to the um, to the market. And how much money is spent on clinical trials by pharmaceutical companies? How many of them fail? How many of the users or um, people who are being recruited just uh, not comply or do not report all the information? Or we don't have a good way to track side effects, especially when they're subjective instead of objective, right? So how much benefit we can bring just in, by advancing our technology, how much benefit we can bring there. And like right now is a perfect example. A lot of companies are working on vaccines. There is so much value in big data analytics and in bringing internet of things like the sensors into these clinical trials to just speed them up and improve them and to track those side effects and to uh, recruit the right population to make sure we understand not only their disease states, but also their lifestyle and their the environmental factors they expose themselves to. Yeah. So like even before we get to changing the full infrastructure of the hospitals, that it's in the revo- starting the revolution out there, uh, there is so much we can do before then. Yeah. 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 I'm glad you talked about side effects too. This would be my last note. Just everything you're saying is just making me me think. Um, one of our fellow entrepreneurs, um, Roberta Powell, actually yesterday we filmed a webinar with her that will be available soon. So if you're interested in watching this, um, you'll be able to find it on our website. But she is working. She she filmed the webinar about big data and how she used FAIRS data um, from the FDA and adverse drug effects to pretty much build a business. First of all, she was building a... Um, a few years ago, she started with an app where you could scan your medicines or go to the doctor and, you know, scan Benadryl and scan Advil and see if they would interact with each other um, because she became a nurse and she was seeing so many people were dying from adverse drug mixing or effects um, through her work, though. And what she's turned it over to do now is she's used this FAIRS data, which is in the public domain and it's it's big data. And you can go in and she, just as an example, as she was looking through this, started putting it between males and females. So she she could look at, you know, drug between drug, women on um, the same drugs as men and what the adverse effects were. And she, through all this 
uh, research, she found that because we were, you know, developing drugs now and back when focused on males and using male test subjects and, you know, looking at males that nowadays doses, she thinks, and this is what she's working on, that the doses we are giving male males and females that are the same shouldn't be the same. So it's it, it was just really interesting. And she's talking, so she uses that example and that's what she's working through is how can we go to, you know, hospitals and or pharmaceutical companies and easily show them what's happening for them to be able to give the right dosages to people. It's, it's crazy. No, yeah, no, and that information can sure. come out during clinical trials, but it also... <clears throat> brings up a good point about one of the other advantages of big data is removing biases. Mm-hmm. Making That removes all the biases that the person can, ha- can have, all the prejudices, all the historical information that they may have had with a different patient population. Um, so that's another big advantage of having that data available to the, to the uh, physician. Mm-hmm. And Danielle, to what you just said, um, I have a, another personal experience with that with my father-in-law. And he is a, he has um, Parkinson's and, you know, he would be fine in the morning, but he would take his drugs and by an hour later, he'd be a zombie. Mm -hmm. And finally, he found a new um, neurologist and the neurologist spoke to him and looked at his drug, all the scripts he was taking, and there was a conflict. And, you know, he said, you can't be taking this with that or you'll, Mm -hmm. this is what happens. And I think the data can go a long way towards resolving those and what what um, your uh, what's her name in there who just did that um, Roberta Roberta and what Roberta's yeah. program is doing um, can go a long way towards resolving those conflicts yeah. among medicines. Yeah, and I'll leave it as a little a little teaser so that people listening will go go watch the webinar. But you pretty much learn that she her doctor almost killed her, and that's the whole reason she put this. <laughs> She started this application. No, like she, her doctor wrote her a prescription and she she had was not in the healthcare space, read it, Googled it because she was like, this seems a little off. She was she was prescribed, I think it was like five times the like deadly dose of what she should have had. So and that's and that's kicked her off on the this year. It's been like four years now and it, it's an incredible story. So oh, and it's just a, such a good example of, of the value of advancing technology and going and showing that we are going into the, in the right direction. Yep. Um, I, I do have actually a very similar story. Like a few weeks, a uh, few months ago, I, I was giving, just doing some blood tests, some blood work um, to get some results um, with my uh, provide with my doctor. And then when I went to another doctor, they needed those results. They did not have access to those. They had to be physically faxed and it's in Rhode Island. Like, I went from one doctor in Rhode Island to the other. Insurance covers it, but they have no other way to share that information besides faxing it physically. Yes, that that that's yeah. Tell me why to like I have to bring my a written prescription to my every time I leave my doctor I have given a written prescription I have to bring it and sit and wait at the farm just the little things like that where I'm like we can't there's no there's no way you know you can just type it in and send it off to the pharmacy which there is but it's like it's not being utilized it's like the perfect example of we're we have this infrastructure but it's not being utilized and it's so I guess nice to see someone like you in a position you have because it gives like it gives me hope sitting here talking to you that 
the future of our healthcare system is going to be utilizing this technology. And it, it's really exciting to sit here and talk to you today and, and hear how opportunistic you are about this. Yeah, I did. I don't mean to be negative. I didn't mean to, but I'm always the voice. I try and be the voice of reason on this, understanding what it takes to get all this data around. So I yeah. applaud you also for looking forward and for, for striving for this outcome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeanette. Uh, this is a great episode. It's great talking to you. And if anyone listening, you know, wants to get in contact with you, um, we always tell, we'll tell them to go to this Medica website, but can they connect with you on LinkedIn? Of course. Awesome. I'm happy to connect. Again, this is, it will take a community to get this together, uh, to make progress. And uh, we will have to work together. We'll have to uh, just, yeah. It's going to take people like Danielle when they're in the office going, you're going to fax that over? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was my reaction. But then, okay, uh, talking about last point, all right? Yeah, Every time I go to the doctor, I fill out the questionnaire on what medication I'm taking. Right. Like time savings, right? I have to show up at the doctor's 30 minutes early to make sure that I fill out the questionnaire with information that should be available to them because there are tools in place that can provide them that information. Um, so again, um, there's so much value to doing doing this and doing this right. Yep. It's mostly just like, let's get let's get yeah. there. Jeanette, the good news is we're working with a, we actually, they just incorporated in Rhode Island, we're working with a startup. It was an idea that came out of um, our education program. We're now helping them actually build the company around it. It's, um, it's more on this uh, psychiatric therapy side, um, but it's for a digital, instead of going in and, you know, filling out a form each time you go see your therapist or it's like, you know, when you go see your doctor for a physical, it's like, do you feel suicidal? Do you have guns in the house? Like, that's like the, <laughs> that's the questionnaire that we're all given and she's turning it totally digital to be able to share but it's like it, it, it's exciting so hopefully you know if we, I see people working on these things I'm just hoping we can implement it broadly I'm working on that <laughs> well thank you Jeanette thank you thank you thank you for your time